The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, and we're ready to share some more provocative thinking for healthcare innovators and digital teams. Here on the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change and we're trying to do something about it. We can either stand back and let it take another 50 years or we can jump in right now. And I think you know how we roll. We're not going to coast in neutral. We're hitting the gas. Come be a part of it. Each week, we talk about the topics that you need to know about and act on to be part of the digital transformation movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced digitally and the backstage strategies for marketing, operations, and digital teams to stay ahead of the curve. This is episode number 152, people. We're now in season five, which is our quest to answer whether it's even possible to provide the healthcare experience that consumers desire. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about how old mindsets can be blocking our view. Are health system leaders trying to solve the problems of their business model with the same thinking that broke it in the first place? I'll talk about that. Then Zane and I are joined by Matt Sabolsky, host of the Voice of Healthcare podcast and founder of Ionia Healthcare Consulting. Matt is going to blow your mind as he gives us the lowdown on where he sees voice-first technology now and where it's headed in the future. It's time to dive right in. You ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. Move over, your mindset is blocking my view. Are health system leaders trying to solve the problems of their business model with the same thinking that broke it in the first place? Is clinging to the idea of being the one-stop, in-person shop for sick care the very thing that's preventing hospitals from pivoting to new business models that can actually save them? Somebody has to ask these questions in order to shake us loose from old mindsets that could indeed be blocking our line of sight as the scramble for revenue recovery continues. We're watching the future of healthcare being built right before our eyes, but is something blocking our view? We can't find the right answers by asking the wrong questions. And in the case of revenue recovery for health systems, what's the right question to ask? Maybe it's this question posed by James Gardner, retail healthcare expert and major friend of the program. He asked, what would it look like if hospitals embraced at-home virtual care, shed their extraneous parts, and reinvented themselves around ER, ICU, and other acute scenarios? Think about that. Are we just more desperately trying to squeeze blood from a stone or put lipstick on a pig? Or is now the time to rebuild healthcare from the bottom up? In Ed Marks' book, Healthcare Digital Transformation, I told you it was a must read. Here's another passage. This is what he said. In the transition from the current model of healthcare to a new one, declining revenues from traditional sources will likely not be compensated by revenues from new sources, requiring financial commitments in the short term that may not deliver immediate results. Health systems preparing for the future and considering digital transformation journeys need to start with the question, do we have a burning platform today? 
For those that answer no, the question is, can we sustain indefinitely with our current business model or are we frogs boiling slowly in the water? In the rapidly evolving healthcare marketplace, health systems must carefully consider the major market forces that could impact their future. It is survival of the digital fittest, unquote. So how do we clear up our line of sight? Two things come to mind. First, instead of starting with a list of what have we done before and how can we solve this on our own, start with a list of what haven't we tried before and who can we partner with to get this done. If that sounds too radical, these headlines should all get you in the mindset of considering non-traditional partnerships. And by the way, these have all happened in the last 10 days. You ready? Here we go. Cigna's Evernorth division to buy telehealth provider MD Live. Cleveland Clinic and Amwell joint venture launches virtual second opinions service. New Best Buy health services for Apple Watch aim to keep older adults safe and independent. Humana is teaming with Missouri-based health system Mercy to grow access to virtual health resources. Roe Online Pharmacy is now vaccinating seniors at home. Think about those headlines. Are you going to be next? Second, replace our silo culture with shared goal setting. You don't need IT, marketing, and business strategy teams all trying to solve the same problems of revenue recovery separately. The winners right now are laying aside their traditional lines in the sand and committing to solve this together. Change your mindset, change your view. This is the only way we're going to see a viable healthcare business system emerge from the ashes of the pandemic. Let's do this. And that's the flavor of the Week. All right, Zane's in the house again. Again, man, how are you doing? Good, how are you, Jared? Doing great. I have not since last week thought of any new Zanes out there in the music world, okay. but I'm, I'm sure that they're around. I'm sure. It just seems like there's more and more every day. Yes, I'm probably just not looking hard enough, but you know. <laughs> anyway, it, it, it's kind of funny. Yeah, when we got going on that last week, but uh, nevertheless, well, you know, we always start with what's the latest awesome thing so I can get us going on this one. This is a just an observation recently, and I feel like it's just a nice little bit of good news is that there are a lot of job openings I'm seeing in healthcare marketing, innovation, digital nice. content production, just kind of our, our corner of the world. I've even seen a handful of industry folks who say like, hey, I've been collect like people have been sending me job posts to share with my networks. So even if you haven't seen certain ones advertised out there, you know, DM me and I've got a whole list of openings that people are sending me. So that is a nice change over the last year. I'd put myself in that category in terms of I'm not looking for anything. So I do have a lot of openings that I have come across that if anyone's interested in is just wanting to know like what's out there, you know, what have I seen? Drop me a line, message me and I will uh, I'll send you what I have seen because there are a lot more out there. It's it's really nice to see. I would add sales and business development to that as well, to B and B to C. So it seems like whether that just signals that there are a lot of organizations in growth mode because they need to, you know, whatever the case, there are a lot more opportunities out there than I've been seeing, I'd say, over the last two or three weeks. So, yeah, that seems like a little bit of good news. Absolutely. No, I, I, I would agree, actually. Now that you say that, I've seen lots of postings, especially on LinkedIn, looking for designers, strategists, foresight strategists. I actually have a good buddy who's finishing up the design school down in Costa Rica. So I've been sending him a ton of links and, hey, he should apply here. But I think to your point, the healthcare industry is trying to grow. COVID has elucidated a lot of opportunities for improvement. 
And frankly, some of the some of the big tech players are getting into the industry, and they they need help. They need people that can can talk design, but also talk healthcare. And then incumbent systems are looking to compete with them as well. So. I think the future belongs to creatives, that's for sure, in in the health space. I'd agree. Those are important critical thinking skills that are going to come into play anywhere. And I would say, people, if there's even something out there that you you like the look of it and you're like, wait, I don't have that one qualification, find a way to, to describe how you're still the best person for it and still apply for it, go for it. I mean, if it's something that is a good fit for you, don't let one thing in the job description stop you from applying. I mean, that's... Absolutely. Yeah. Not in this day and age. Nope. Absolutely. So Zane, we're going to have a lot of fun today talking about voice and how it can potentially fit into the digital health experience for consumers. I will start with with what I've seen. Again, the status quo, it's kind of subjective, but here's what I've seen with it. And I'd love to hear what, what you think about all this. Because for the longest time, voice was just an emerging thing. And we talked about it a lot. And then there was that year, I don't know, two or three years ago, maybe where like the number of smart speakers went like crazy. And I mean, I'm pretty sure I have probably like eight of them in my house. It's, it's crazy. Like it's, it's everywhere. And so like now here I am, I'm not even sure, you know, what comes next. All I know is that there's so much potential. I've been bullish on it. I've talked about voice on the podcast a number of times. We've had guests talk about it. And, you know, here we are sitting here after hopefully on the tail end of the pandemic, we can look with a kind of a fresh perspective in terms of, for me, voice and the development of voice has flown under the radar this last year because we haven't been so tech focused. There've been a lot, there, there's a focus on really applicable digital health solutions, not necessarily on, on a channel. I've heard people, uh, you know, discuss whether voice is even a channel or it's a mode, you know, mm. is it, is it a platform what is it? Is it a medium? And I think you can answer yes to all those things. One way or the other, I will not get it out of my mind of like where voice can go. And I think that's an important part of the status quo because that to me has never changed. You know, where regardless of whether it's it's taken longer to get there or not, that's that's just based on that's in the eye of the beholder. For me, where I've seen it go is a place where we can, in a non-touch environment, just mm-hmm. say. Alexa, refill my prescription. Alexa, yep. set set me up. You know, schedule my next physical. Alexa, you know, uh, read me back the notes from my last doctor visit. I mean, like the when you really go to like start reimagining the digital health experience with voice included. I mean, sky's the limit, and it really is a reimagining of everything there. And then, so I guess the need for touch-free environments is something that's going to fuel this in my mind. But we also now have to deal with the fact that voice in and of itself has been around long enough where a lot of people are just like in the the hype cycle, it's heading towards that trough of disillusionment, I yep, believe. Yep. And so uh, we have to kind of help uh, shepherd it through there. And I'd still probably lump it into a couple of different areas. One is just basic uh, voice search. So having your content presentable and parsed out and marked up with your schema.org markup, but having the content that whatever the voice-enabled technology is going to pick up uh, from you to properly represent your organization and, you know, whether it's, hey, where are, where's the local urgent care, you know, that, that mm-hmm. kind of whatever the questions are going to be, there's a lot to it. So there's voice search, then there's 
gonna say, okay, there's skills. <laughs> there mm-hmm. are voice only apps and yep. and then there's conversational AI, which is kind of like the the engine there that that's almost like the the part that doesn't get talked about enough of yep. really where things could go. So now they've kind of opened Pandora's box saying, <laughs> where is voice headed in the digital experience? Yeah, so, you know, in my experience, you might've seen this more than I have. I'm seeing a lot in healthcare where people are just using voice to call it order, you know, pretty transactional things. So like you said, you know, fill prescriptions, you know, book me into the nearest urgent care, so, so on and so forth. I think there's going to be a huge opportunity to use voice for patient education and sort of like post-discharge planning. So, you know, as patients are leaving the ambulatory center or leaving the hospital that they're given educational materials that can be, you know, played through audio. Um, I think audio is much more approachable than written materials or in, in some sense to even like visual materials. So I think about, you know, how, you know, e-readers and and podcasts have become in some for a certain cohort of population or patients the most or a, a certain cohort of people the funnest way or their preferred way to consume content. I think healthcare has not yet completely um, got on that bandwagon. And then, frankly, I think healthcare needs to be careful of voice because at least traditional healthcare players in the branding space. Um, we focus on optimizing our visual brand, so the way things look. But in a voice world, that matters way, way less, right? And so again, if we're using, you know, a Google Assistant or using, you know, Amazon Alexa to interact with a health system, a lot of these platforms are already making moves on assigning voice commands to their preferred products and services on the platform. And so healthcare is going to need to make sure that they are that preferred product or service. So a great example is if you order if you ask Alexa to you know order me some batteries, it's going to order you the Amazon Basics version of batteries, not necessarily Duracell, right? And so my question would be, you know, how can health systems position themselves to be that preferred vendor, if you will, on these voice platforms? So when a patient says, hey, you know, find me the nearest urgent care, it's a Kaiser Permanente urgent care or a Cleveland Clinic one or, or whichever, you know, health system is in that market. And so it's going to require marketing teams and, you know, by extension, innovation teams to get a lot more creative and a lot more savvy around this technology. Because again, your traditional ways of thinking visually no longer apply or are no longer relevant in the voice world. Well, I will tell you what, just that thought can strike fear in the hearts of, you know, traditional Marcom professionals who yep. that's the entire scope of their vision. Yep. And so to understand that that is a moving target like that, that does make people uncomfortable. And I do think that's one obstacle that, that has uh, kept us from, from going further down this road, but it is going to be one of those things that at the end of the day, there's going to be whoever's in each market. And maybe, maybe it's a, you know, a, a national player there. You know, what if, you know, it could be, a, it could be CVS, it could be Walmart, it could sure, be Amazon absolutely. that ends yep. up, I mean, guess what? You're competing with Walmart or with, right. with Amazon on it, you know? So it's just an awakening of what you're actually competing with. And then uh, you've talked to me previously on the conversational AI side about how that's going to force hospitals to think consumer first or think like a consumer, not just, absolutely. Oh, yeah, of course, of course we are, <laughs> you know, we're, like truly thinking like a consumer because we are not currently 
searching for things with the terminology that a clinician would use. Yep. And it's, it's always been a battle for even like basic web copy about yes. your department. I had, I had a, I'll have to dig it up once. Like there was a name of a department that there were like three departments that had merged and they didn't bring marketing in on the decision at all. They're just like, hey, by the way, we've, we've all merged. And they were like, the name of the department was like <laughs> eight, eight words long. Oh my and, gosh. And they had this whole thing in mind of how this makes things easier for the for the patient. And I mean, we just kind of didn't know where to go with that. And yeah. you, you just think like, the look, uh, let us help you uh, get this in a way that people are actually going to find it. Yep, absolutely. And I think that's going to be maybe a humbling experience for traditional healthcare people, because to your point, we're going to have to change our language. And so, you know, just to catch some of our listeners listeners up, if they're not aware, conversational AI essentially are tools that recognize the colloquial term that people are using and then make the connection between the right term and help you find whatever it is you need. So, for example, if you're speaking to a, you know, a conversational AI web bot on a health system website, you might say, you know, show me all the family doctors family doctors in my area. And what that conversational AI tool will do is recognize that what you really mean is a primary care physician and then pull the list for you. And so again, it's using the terms that everyday humans use pretty normally. And then you know, doing that mix match between the actual scientific or clinical term. And you see this a lot too with the way we call different diseases or different clinical indications. So, you know, some people refer to diabetes as sugar, which obviously is not the scientific term, but a conversational AI tool should be able to realize, oh, potentially this person is asking about diabetes and we need to, um, you know, we need to present them that information. But again, healthcare people need to get out of sort of this paternalistic vision of being all knowing and just frankly humble ourselves and 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 speak to people in the terms that they're familiar with and that they engage with and we'll get there through these tools i agree it's going to force it and i think that's when we talk about opportunities to innovate addressing any of these parts of voice voice search uh, voice skills uh, conversational ai you know so the content that is pulled there uh, a lot of hospitals, I would guess a majority, implemented some kind of COVID chatbot tool, whether or not they had any kind of chatbot before. A chatbot, for the most part, is driven on some level of conversational AI because it's having to do that and it's doing it on a text basis. Yep. Uh, so that it's the same thought of being able to make that translation between, like you said, the colloquial term and the term that the organization knows it by. And there are a lot of implications to that. The opportunities to innovate to me are just endless because when we really are talking about how to make things easier and how to reduce friction, I mean, this is how voice came about in the very beginning yep. was that somebody saw that as an opportunity and now there's now there's the tech to make it possible. So I guess that's one reason I've always liked voice is because it, it puts me automatically in this world of thinking how to innovate and make things easier, reduce friction. And I'd much rather be answering those questions, even ahead of the scale, you know, ahead of the curve, than, hey, how do we optimize these things that no one really wants to use anyway? Yep. And I think for both voice and conversational AI, a good predicate to look at would be sort of how we went from doing things in analog, so maybe calling to book an appointment to web, so going on like a desktop, and then to mobile. And I, I'm old enough, but still young enough to remember when a lot of people were denying that 
mobile first would be the way that people principally search for anything. And sure enough, you know, we're at that place now where most people are using their phone over a desktop or a laptop. And eventually, I think we might get to the place where it's now going to be voice. And so if we think back to the angst and the hesitance that health systems had just getting on mobile, I think it's going to be the same for voice, unfortunately. I would agree. And then I would even add the the thought that uh, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about a lot, which is at some point in the future, whoever wins, if it is Amazon, I mean, that's who is winning right now, just in the hardware category with voice, but whoever ultimately wins and becomes the Google of all voice search strategy, just think what it took to to land number, like on the on page one of search results. That, that used to be good enough. Any As long as you're on page one anywhere. And then yeah. it became, oh, well, the first four slots are all ads. So, yeah. you know, you have to be number one or basically nothing now. I mean, the slope after like position three on a SERP page is, is like, it's insane. I mean, it yeah. just like, you're gone. So, right, position one, position two, or nothing with organic search. So... Imagine what that premium is going to be from whoever wins. Like that's what Gary Vaynerchuk keeps talking about. He's like, look, whatever, whatever point that is, it might be 10 years, it might be more, it might be less. But you think you have to pay a lot right now to be to have your ad placed at the top of you know a, a Google result page. Just wait until there's only one result that you even that gets yeah. returned because yeah. that's what Amazon picks for you. So Dang. like just seeing down the road that far to realize like that's where things are trending. Like that's wow. That's what's going to happen. That's hitting me in real time because I've never actually thought about that. Because you're right. Without the visual piece of a search page, there is no you know first, second, third, fourth runner-up. It's just one, and so there's a huge premium there. And so I'm thinking about this in real time. So that connects back to like a larger strategy and picture that we've talked about here before. And that's where ultimately all these digital disruptors in healthcare, one thing they all have in common is they become demand aggregators. And so because of the success of their platform or the ubiquity of their brand or just their cool factor, they steer business. And I think that's going to be the biggest the biggest challenge for legacy health systems where other brands are now controlling where the demand goes. And part of that actually connects back to our last episode where we talk about partnerships. And so these health institutions are really going to need to think long and hard about partnering in new ways with some of these big platforms just to stay in their good graces, to be subject to the demand stream that they might shoot their way. So it's almost like, think of like healthcare as travel agent, where back in the day, it was really just travel agents who were selling flights and and resorts to people, you know, based on the network they had. And so it'll be the same way where these digital companies who everyone has a relationship with, maybe because they already provide you with television services or phone services or whatever, are now controlling or strongly influencing where healthcare dollars are spent and referrals go. That's what I'm seeing coming down the road. Yeah, and I don't know if anyone has a good grasp on when, but knowing that like we have a chance to get ahead of the curve here, yeah. just knowing that's where it's headed. And so my call to action in this vein would be, 
pick one of the above, <laughs> pick, <laughs> pick uh, making your content more conversational, doing a, an audit of your schema.org markup on your web content. Look at building a skill, a simple one, just to understand how they work. Like find something and don't make it a big deal because then it, it won't get done. But is there, are there some simple skills that, that can be done either through a partnership or built on their own that do solve some quick little need that just get people used to that because there are all the intrinsic challenges of, hey, once we have a skill, how do you get people to know about it? You have to tell people, hey, look, go ask Alexa to enable this skill and then ask it for the local urgent care, you know, stuff like that. There's an informational pain that needs to happen, but don't let that stop you from realizing that that's where things are going and, and just start like informing ourselves more about it. Absolutely. I agree with you. I think too, you know, one thing I would say is start to really zero in on what your this may sound too generic, but I apologize, but like really zero in on what is what is the value that you could bring to a partnership. So let's say we're five years down the road and you know Amazon has completely cornered this market. What is it that you could bring to Amazon that they can't bring that would potentially make you that one or two you know, person on the voice referral list that they would still refer you to. And so to me, these are like skills and capabilities that your organization brings that no matter what happens in digital, no digital company is going to do it better than you. And so some of that's probably going to focus around, you know, your tertiary quaternary business or the subspecialties that you bring to the market. And what I would do is double down on those and promote those things as things that these, de these demand ad creators or digital middlemen companies would want to partner with you on because they'll never be able to deliver those. That's a great one. And like you said, don't try to boil the ocean, but find one, narrow it down to one or two that you really can just excel at. And it is something that you provide that no one else does. And Absolutely. You know, just be like, like have it be no question ever. Absolutely. Like Cleveland Clinic with cardiology or, hey, frankly, if someone out there was the true behavioral health specialist, I think there's a lot of, lot of business and partnerships to be had in that space. Uh, for sure. For yep. sure. I think we're just uncovering what's possible there. So. Absolutely. And So many vendors, so little time. Expecting me to know them all is practically a crime, but it's what my job's about. Yeah. It makes me want to shout. Yeah. I need some help deciding who to use without a doubt. Something everyone wants. Like a secret decoder. Something everyone needs. Like your own baby Yoda. Help me to choose. I can't afford to lose. Isn't there a website that I really ought to use? Martech.health. Martech.health. Do yourself a favor. Check it out for yourself. Need to find a vendor? This is the way. Martech.health. Who you gonna pick today? Martech.health is the vendor directory built specifically for healthcare marketing, communications, and digital professionals. People like you. Founded and run by the OG himself, Healthcare Internet Hall of Famer Ed Bennett. It's designed to make your next vendor selection process less painful. And here's why. Over 600 vendors across 40 industry categories. Verified vendor reviews and ratings from your peers. A resource library of articles, videos, and events. Plus, an anonymous messaging tool to get your vendor questions answered without worrying about endless callbacks. All of this is free to use and share. Check it out at martech.health. 
Well, everyone, check it out. We're going to get deeper into the flow here. We've got Dr. Matt Sabolski in the house, and I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled about this. I'm so excited to have him here with us. Matt's the founder of Ionia Healthcare Consulting, and uh, he's a brother here. He's a host of the Voice of Healthcare podcast. A lot of you know him from that. A lot of you know him uh, from his work in various aspects of our industry here. Matt, welcome. How are you doing today? How are you, Jared? I'm doing pretty good. Glad to be on the show. Um, flattered you asked me to join you. You know, I think it's one of those when we start looking at shared connections and we're like, wait, you know, so-and-so, you know, so how have the fates not aligned previously so that, you know, we've had you on the show before. So I'm just glad we're getting to that point now. And uh, we got a lot to talk about here. We like to break the ice though with, with the simple open-ended question of what's the latest awesome thing you've heard about. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be healthcare related. It can. Since Zane is not on this interview, we won't bring up Clubhouse, <laughs> even though it's, it's great stuff. I mean, I always actually love hearing what chatter he's hearing or what rooms he's going into there. But I'll leave that to you. What's the latest awesome thing going on? So I, I'm glad you asked me that question. There's a couple of things. Um, and I'm going to be the contrarian that I tend to be. Twitter spaces and Clubhouse. I think Twitter spaces might end up being somewhat of the juggernaut of the two. I also find the analog to sort of teleroom technology that was out you know decades ago that's back where all of us are in a room speaking. I think for those analogs of, of Clubhouse and Twitter Spaces and whatever else might be coming up in the audio space and the in the in similar analogs, I do think there's gonna have to be some rising of the top to content that is worth jumping into. Uh, I think right now in Clubhouse, when I'm in there, it's just this mad dash to get followers. So there's all these rooms that are just like, hey, say something good about yourself. And there's a thousand people in there and everyone's following one another. I think the other place that I think is really cool is not necessarily a product or a thing, but an event that's occurred during 2020, which is just the um, the massive amounts of capital that's flowed into ment digital mental health considering sort of the Hiroshima of mental health that we're experiencing across the United States because of COVID, but also sort of moving towards this place of, of routing around insurance and going direct to consumer to offer products and solutions that people need. Uh, emotional well-being and stability is one of those things, right? Uh, teaching people about finding that balance, right, between chaos and apathy, and uh, COVID has totally warped our ability to understand that because as humans who are social animals, we've been isolated in ways that we've never had before. Plus, we've been facing a lot of rhetoric that's quite doom and gloom. So those are the two big things, right? These ways of people connecting through something like a clubhouse or a Twitter spaces, which I'm a huge fan of Twitter spaces. And the second part is the human response to isolation in the capital for digital health, both of those things together are same in kind and different in degree. It's a way to connect people through the digital medium when we can't physically be together. Yeah, I, I see a lot of links there. I see even just the thought of when you break it down to a level of audio content. I mean, voice, there's parts of voice that the conversational AI side, I guess, uh, and, and we'll get into this, but I, I see there's the whole voice and audio content category here that can be very aligned between apps like Clubhouse and, and Twitter Spaces as we see where they go. But at the end of the day, it's people wanting to listen to each other, listen to things. And there's one thing that's very unique about, you know, I'm, I'm, if, we're, if we're talking to podcast listeners, good grief. I mean, uh, you're probably multitasking while you're listening to this program right now. <laughs> that's yeah. the 
that's the unique part about audio content. And those who, who have figured that, that value out are going to be, in my mind, ones who are a step ahead with their voice strategy. It's, it's part of it. It's not, it's not the whole equation, but it's, it's part of the equation. It's like, hey, what do we talk? What do people want to hear about while they are on the treadmill? While they, while they are, you know, doing the chores or whatever. It's a thought that, as you see, there's, there's a void that's being filled right now by those who have figured that out because we can't go to conferences. Or at least we've had a year without going to attend conferences and we're realizing, you know, I really did miss, you know, from a professional level, bumping into so-and-so and catching up with them and seeing how they solved such problems, you know, X, Y, and Z there's a void there that we can fill with, with audio content. So that absolutely. Yeah. It's a way to feel it's an artificial connection. It's sort of like taking an acetaminophen when you need the aspirin, it does the job. It's just not the same efficacy, but it kind of calms the nerves a little bit. So I'm like you very interested in seeing that coming. I also think, you know, voice first, which I've spent some time in and AI that I'm also spending some time in along with my, contemporary Reed McClellan um, from Boston Children's, you know, we're kind of looking at this thing and saying to ourselves, this argument, you know, is is voice first truly a platform, right? Is audio really a platform or is it something else? You know, it's hard to say. And I think the argument rages on. It's certainly a media that escapes a barrier for people to be involved in, right? If you have ears that can hear, and I don't know how they're doing on closed captioning in some of these tools, but if you have functional ears and you have a functional ability to speak, the connections and the data that comes from that are um, immeasurable, really. So let's dive into this because I, I think this is a that question of whether voice first is a platform. Uh, that's kind of a new a new way of looking at voice. I feel like we are in terms of where we are in the hype cycle with voice. The hype general. cycle is a way to say it for sure. Yeah. It feels like so. So, what what's the status quo then in terms of like what where healthcare has typically been with voice up until now? Like clearly, something has led you to to start asking that question. So, is that the status quo in that we've been thinking about voice as a platform? Well, you know, when when I think of voice first and I think about it in terms of of healthcare, I think there's been a lot of promises made, and then there's been some difficulty finding a plateau of efficacy. And I think that's where I come up with that question, really. The success you're seeing in the digital health world isn't necessarily as a result of voice first. It's a way of looking at healthcare as being asynchronous. It's a way of looking at healthcare being decentralized. It's a way of looking at healthcare that is, um, I don't know the right term for it, but uh, it's nonlinear, right? Like I can grab care from multiple providers that are not necessarily part of a continuum that normally I would have to be passed from one turnstile to the other. Voice has a place in there in all three of those concepts because we've got to be able to imbue a way for the patient to connect to these products directly without having a human intermediary. And I think that's sort of accelerated perhaps the ability to create these tools But really, these tools sort of operate when they become consumer-facing using voice-first technologies that are similar to uh, chatbots. So it's almost like offering someone an ability to communicate, not necessarily with their voice, but they can communicate with a bot using very similar sort of technology of conversational nodes and flow. So that's kind of a roundabout way of saying to you, I don't have the right answer. I have a stack of conceptions that seem to be driving this movement in digital health. So, yeah. Is one reason for that, you think, because when we say voice, I hear 
voice skills. I hear voice search. I hear voice first, just kind of as a philosophy, as a potential platform. Do we have consensus about what what even defines it right now? I don't know if we do. I think there are people out there that are going to hear me and they're going to argue and say that we absolutely do. And they're going to say why. Um, finding conjecture with this so early in the hype cycle, as you you said it, I think is a specious thing. Until we start seeing efficacy and stability of these products to be able to operate in a way that we feel comfortable leaving it in a patient room or, or someone's house, or even more than that, in a mobile technology, when I'm walking around with it, interacting with it with my Apple AirPods, um, and it's flawless, it's sort of hard to make an argument otherwise that it's anything other than sort of a useful add-on. Um, to what we're seeing developed and, and deployed. That's just the reality of where we are. It's 2021. Certain parts of the tech and the capabilities have become more known more than ever. I mean, there was, there was a point where it was, it seemed like two or three years ago, where, where the increase in sales of smart speakers really started taking off. And then ever since then, we're like, well, wait, we expected this to, to be everything for us. From a healthcare administrator side, or even a clinical side, I've seen a bit of a cooling off. And I don't think it's because of the tech itself. I think I've seen actually a big, like a lot of progress made in what's possible with voice first in the last year, last year and a half. And at the same time, there's been a a bit of a cooling off on the hype side. And I I see that as a good thing. Yeah, it is a good thing. I think there's a tangibility and a realistic perspective on what's capable with the technology. You know, our friend Brett Kinsella said it best long ago at Harvard at the Voice of Healthcare Summit. He said, you know, smart speakers aren't the end all. They're just the gateway drug. They're getting you used to using the voice first platform or whatever you want to call it, the tool to interact. You know, those things were built for retail, Jared. And you and I both know, you know, uh, the easiest way to monetize tech is through data. And if data through, you know, words make money in advertising and you've got nine times the amount of words spoken with voice first, it's an easy monetization multitude, multiple, excuse me, that you're starting to see. So yeah, the smart speakers started it all off. Eventually we will be, and you and I think are both evangelists of this fact, using voice first as the primary interacting tool for input to all of our hardware you know, mobile phones being the primary one. I mean, they're already standard in most vehicles. And, you know, I think the, even the footprint of my phone will start to change because I'll interact with it more with my voice and my ears than I will my fingers and my eyes. It's a good way of summarizing it. Let's talk about like, what's keeping that from changing? What's stopping progress from happening? Let's attack the clinical side for one. So you have programs like, like HIPAA compliant apps that there are, I mean, there's a, from what I know, there's a trickle of healthcare, uh, health systems and hospitals that, and provider organizations, you know, you submit for a skill to be approved. And then I don't know what the process looks like, but I just know there is a process, you know, things have to get approved. Um, I don't know how akin it is to back, back in the day, 10, 11 years ago, trying to get an iPhone app approved in the early days, which it, it was just a, a nefarious process to say the least. Like it was, sure. you didn't know what was going on. So clinically, is there, where are we right now in terms of uh, voice apps uh, for clinical uses? That's a great question. I'll start with this. You know, this question is sort of like, where's the innovation being impeded or where are the innovation is happening? I mean, same question, uh, different size of the coin. 
What I'll tell you is, I think it's not a unique answer for me. It's these barriers include who owns data, right? Is the patient going to own the data? Is the EMR company going to own the data? Is the hospital or the provider going to own the data? And where can that be exchanged? And that exchange of data is really important in healthcare, right? And that exchange of data can make or break any sort of application or voice application that you would use to interact, whether it be a physician or, or a patient. EMRs traditionally were not made for workflow. And I think in clinical medicine, you want things to work for workflow, right? You'll make more money if you can do more catheterizations in the cath and the cardio lab. You can save more money if you can get patients discharged more quickly with their medicine in hand, their education in hand, and all the sign-offs done, and you can turn that bed over. EMRs aren't great at that. And the EMRs were sold with that story, but the EMRs win has been more along the lines of sort of billing integrity and and invoice integrity. So I don't have a great answer for you about where things are ballooning in the clinical space for voice first. I do know that AI is making some advances. Voice first is a part of these digital tools that you start seeing embedded in hospitals. But I think until we answer some questions about access, we start answering some questions about who owns data and the accessibility of that data. Until then, we can't really look at these voice tools or anything innovative in the clinical space without really asking the question, the following question, which is, are we at a place where we have data exchange that's fluid and allowing markets and ideas around the clinical experience or the delivery experience or continuity of care to build tools that sort of grease skits for workflow or make it easier, make it safer, make it cost effective, or, you know, in some case, and I might get, uh, this might be blasphemous to say, in some case, making it more likely that we get more volume, right, for care that's delivered. Because you've got to create the need, right? And that need tends to have value. And that value translates to people investing money in that to build it. Um, So exchanging data, because that's what digital economies are built on, exchanging data fluidly, I think, is the big driver or mitigator to success and innovation in the clinical space. This is not to even mention, you know, where we are with the insurance space, which is an access question too, and an infrastructure question. So I don't have a great answer for you there. I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier in the show. Post-COVID world is a real concept and it's not going to change. You know, respiratory illnesses are going to be coming and going for a long time. We missed it for about a decade and a half. Um, If you look at Asia, Central, East Asia, you'll watch shows with Anthony Bourdain. And in the background, while he's eating food, there are people wearing masks everywhere. And you didn't really recognize until you watch an old show today. Go watch an old show of his from 2012. Watch it in the Middle East. Watch it somewhere in India. Watch it in uh, Cambodia, Vietnam, Thailand, even China. And you'll see people wearing face masks in public, something that Westerners avoided for quite a while. But in this new post-COVID world, digital health will be influenced and voice-first health and AI will be influenced by what I mentioned earlier, which is living and working in asynchronous ways, right? We don't have to do it all at the same time for the work to get done. Nonlinear care for a patient, right? Direct to consumers is going to be something that a lot of money is made on. A lot of change happens in how you get care. Even a company like Peloton, I would argue, is a healthcare company. And then I would also look at something like decentralization, You are now in the desert. I am in Nashville, Tennessee. 
and we're having a podcast that people all over the world will listen to. Supplies are decentralized and have been for a long time. The success of someone like a UPS or a FedEx or a PillPack is built on that. Those are the things that I look at in alongside data ownership and the EMR and the concept of the EMR. Those are the things that we'll have to look at, which will completely dictate innovation in the digital health space. Now, I'm probably not articulating this as best as somebody else could. Someone from an Omada Health, for example, or someone who works in healthcare strategy, um, like the guys over at Healthcare Pizza. But those are the big concepts to me where voice first will have an impact, AI will have an impact, and the post-COVID world, how you and I get healthcare and where we go to get it, isn't going to be necessarily a big box. It's going to be sort of this choice overload of apps and websites and subscriptions that we hang on to based on our genetic makeup, the diseases we have or the stages that are in our life, or, you know, God forbid, the financial class we exist in. Well, what I really like about that is that you're providing context instead of just looking at, I think this, this, this fuels your, your line of thought about, is this really a platform? Because yeah. you're giving context in terms of there are possibilities about what voice can do, but within the context of life, not just with, within healthcare, not just within patient care, but within life. And that's what it seems is the opportunity for us to innovate is to understand that we're going to be designing multimodal experiences with digital health. Voice will be part of that. Sure. I see that. I'm sure there's a, there's, there's a way of saying it, but, but that way of global thinking of not just saying somebody's going to go into a cave over here and explore how to do voice for, for our healthcare organization. And somebody else is over here figuring out some other aspect of uh, virtual care, telehealth, whatever. Everyone coming to a table, everyone bringing all of these pieces together is really what, what it feels like is an area for possible innovation here. So I'm curious, so what, what other opportunities you see for innovating with voice yeah. in healthcare? One of my best good buddies, my best good friend in the whole wide world, Bradley Metrock, you know him, great guy, voice first FM, and he's got conferences all over the world. He's doing coast to coast right now. He says that you need a voice strategy. I would say that you just need voice part of your strategy. You don't need a voice first, first primary strategy. It's just what's your strategy. And if you don't have voice first in part of that, as far as the consumer experience or even the clinical experience or the business to business experience, you're missing out and you're going to lose in the next 20 years and be behind. It's going to be a hell of a ride. So I would just start with that, that I would say not that Bradley is wrong. I would just reframe it. Your strategy needs to include it, but your strategy doesn't come first for voice. And that's why we've sort of modified the work that we're doing, the people we're talking to, because we recognize that the, the, the strategy for digital health doesn't just hang on one platform, right? It's not just AI. It's not just voice first. It's not just decentralized supply chain systems that get people what they need when they need it at their homes. It's a lot more than that. What else is coming down the pike? Your question to me, if you could ask me one more time, is this more like a, sort of a call to action um, that you're asking about this innovation or what else do I see coming? Well, both. So I think that that answers the, that addresses the part about where are the opportunities for innovation, which does lead us to a call to action. So I, I think it was just some of that, uh, yeah, some of that mind reading uh, capability you had right there. But <laughs> but that's where where I'm curious about where this this line of thought leads us. So in terms of a tactical step or two for leaders to take, and I think maybe that's where you're going with this about uh, reframing how you think about 
having voice be part of your strategy. I'm curious if there if there's any tactical step related to that or or some other aspect of if you're sitting here in a one-on-one conversation with a leader at a healthcare system and you're you're providing them some direction of okay, hey, where do, where do you go like right now? What what do you work on? What do you focus on? Uh, what would you tell them? Oh man, that is a that's a hell of a question. I'd have to I think I'd be a sage to get it right. So I'm going to pull one of my favorite tricks here, which is the political figure trick, which is answer the question they wish they asked you instead of the one they did. <laughs> and I think for me, you know, I'll sort of say, you know, getting familiar with the idea that your traditional delivery from a big physical box is the status quo. You need to be comfortable with the idea of that being utterly, totally dismantled and destroyed. So if you've got cash on hand and you've got clinicians in your toolbox that are partnered with you, and that's your revenue, right? If you're not producing some sort of connect to a patient with a clinician or a physician of some sort, you're not going to be doing much. And getting comfortable with the idea, you're going to have to change who your vendors are. You know, traditionally, your vendors were people that created needles and beds and mops and gauze and devices. And some of your vendors you're going to have to get comfortable with are who's touching your patients all the time, not just a phone call, but who's in their mobile phone, who's in their ear with a hearable. What's the pharmaceutical firm that you're working with that's mailing meds to them? What is the voice platform that interacts with them and how easy is it for you to modify and deploy it and make it accurate? What's the AI firm you're using to save on labor costs, modify quality and safety? And is it error prone or is it not? And are you mitigating mistakes? Not because it's the human error of touching a patient make a mistake, but you've got a programmatic error and lots of people can get hurt that way. And then it's going to be less about the building. And it's going to be more about the sort of ethereal, intangible asset that both of you, both of us sort of live within, which is the idea becomes code and that code becomes the product. It's a shift of conceptual thinking more than it is um, a very physical product coming down the line. And there are so many of them. I mean, if you just look at investments in last year in the startup space for digital health, it's immense. So let me ask you, what have you seen? What are you excited about? Ooh, see, that's the other trick. You know, flipping nah, this, yeah. flipping this on me. Way to go, way to go. It's like you're, yeah. a, it's like you're a, a, a very experienced host or something. Um, oh man, yeah, yeah. Look at this. So what I've seen is more of a desire to figure it out from a clinical side. A lot more questions being asked. Hey, is it living up to whatever level of hype somebody has heard? It's can we figure out where? where voice first does does fit within our strategy. I do hear that being asked more often. Now I'm probably talking to a very, like a subset of a subset of those involved. So meaning those who are either in a, a marketing role or an, an IT role, some in an, in an innovation or like a patient experience role, or at least asking those questions more now, instead of they're just like, uh, like what's like they didn't seem to have a frame of reference and there's enough of a frame of reference. I, I, I would attribute that to just the benefit of the, like in my case, having a, like every room in my house, you know, so, so I can, I mean, cause I it, too. you know, I've got seven of them. It's ridiculous. We have one of my kids bathroom. It's ridiculous. Their requests are like, so we can listen to music while in the shower. I'm like, 
aren't there? Okay, whatever. But we, it's funny. And when, when I bought my very first one and my wife was like, what, what's that for? And I'm like, you will see what this is for. And now she goes, she uses it way more than I do. I mean, you, you know, so like, I, I think just having more of a frame of reference to even know like, oh, that's voice. Oh, that's, there's something in our lives that we can refer to. I feel like that's fueling the at least, okay, now we, it's something tangible I can, at least I have experienced in my life. And so, I don't know, I, I feel like that's more than anything. I, no one who's figuring out answers any more than anyone else. I do feel like there, there will be some momentum that's kind of behind the scenes and there will be a player, there will be a, a winner here, you know, who wins the voice search side of things. And uh, that has implications all its own, which uh, maybe we could do a whole other like follow-up episode of, of just that side of things and getting uh, even into the weeds of like, okay, so, you know, what is, how do you make your content conversational and that kind of thing. But then we'll have to leave that for another time. Well, I will say uh, there's two, com- there's one company right now, well, there's several, and I'm going to get crucified by the contributors in my book when I say this, but I'm really excited about what Teladoc and Lavongo are trying to do. I mean, the diabetic market is insane. It's huge. And for Livongo, has been after for a while. If they can make an impact in the diabetic market, that's really something. I heard something interesting recently on, believe it or not, a Clubhouse room, as much as I've lamented Clubhouse at the beginning of this conversation with you, someone focusing on the obese and overweight market. And it's a healthcare market that would be considered probably the as big as diabetes, right? Or bigger. So imagine a digital health product that interacts with people and targets them from retail to digital health to insurance if you're overweight or you're obese. Imagine, just massive. And I just thought that was genius, right? And this whole world of like, hey, we're finding like-minded people to be part of closed communities. Not that you want to sort of support that community long-term, right? You want to seek weight management for the benefit of the patient, but it is a community of people that do exist and that do identify with one another. And the implications of that from a business perspective and a healthcare perspective speak for themselves. Awesome. Well, that this is a perfect place to, uh, to kind of say uh, thanks for, for opening our minds, for giving us a lot to think about that is, that is genuinely uh, an add on to, to anything that, that people have, have learned about voice so far, just to open our minds, shake loose from those old mindsets and say like, Hey, we were talking about reimagining an experience at the end of the day and a workflow, like you said. And if we approach it from that standpoint, then we're going to reach a very different conclusion. And uh, I, I love talking about this kind of stuff. Matt, thanks so much for joining us and uh, best of luck with everything you're doing uh, and, and make sure everyone knows uh, what the name of the podcast is and where they can listen to it. Yeah. So um, our podcast, thank you very much, Jared. It's great to be here. I really also, by the way, hope that everybody can get something out of what I shared. Um, You and I had a pretty bright conversation, but the podcast we run is called the Voice of Healthcare Podcast. It's available on Apple, Stitcher, anywhere else you get your podcast. And also my book based on the podcast coming out before May 1st, The Voice of Healthcare, authored by myself. And I think everyone will enjoy it. People will put links to that in the show notes. And again, thanks for joining us. Uh, Have a great week, everyone, and talk to you next time. Thank you, Jared. Thanks again to Zane and Matt, and thank you for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, please, people, I'm looking at you. I'm talking to you right there, the one who's listening right now. This is so important for us. Please, please, please subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast. And if you would do us a favor, leave us a quick review or rating on Apple Podcasts. Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health content network. Go check it out at Shift.Health. 
its 28 podcasts and video series about shifting the way to healthcare is experienced. And if you haven't heard, we just joined forces with the C-Suite Network with C-Suite Radio. So you got to go check that out. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap. 